This morning, what I want us to do is I want us to talk about two of the most common titles that are given to Jesus. And I want us to walk away with a better understanding of what these titles mean and how these things ought to impact us in our life. The first thing we're going to talk about is Jesus as the Son of Man. It's probably the most common thing that he will refer to himself in as throughout the Scriptures. He's always, when he talks about himself, he always refers to himself as the Son of Man. And then secondly, I want us to talk about Jesus as the Son of God. Now, one mistake that sometimes we make is that these two titles are simply references to the humanity of Jesus and to the divineness of Jesus. And what I want you to know is there's a whole lot more going on whenever we see those titles. And hopefully, as we talk about these things, it'll make those titles jump off the page a little bit more, uh, a little bit more with us. But I want us to begin this morning by talking about Jesus as the Son of Man. Now, I mentioned before that this is probably the most common thing that Jesus is going to refer to himself as. And if you have your Bibles, open your Bibles, because I'm going to ask you guys to turn to, to several things as we kind of make our way through, through the text th- this morning. But, but this, this title of being the Son of Man, it means a lot more than just he was a man, which he was, right? Jesus came as a man, fully as a man. And sometimes in the text or in the Bible, we, we will see this title used to simply mean someone was a man. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, in Numbers 23 and verse 29, Numbers 23 and verse 29, the text says, God is, God, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. What's he saying? God's not like you and me. God, God's not... God's not flesh and blood. Uh, in Job 16 and verse 31, that, that, that he's talking here about the, the idea uh, that he could argue the case of a man with God as a son of man does with his neighbor. All he's trying to say is, listen, you can't just go and, and argue with God just like you would argue with your neighbor. Uh, there's a difference in, in, in your neighbor who is a man and God who is, who is God. Um, Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? Now, all these verses are basically using this, this title of son of man to refer, to, 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 to refer I don't know what, what accent that is, but to refer to a human being. But when Jesus takes this title, son of man, He is saying a lot more than, I'm just a normal man like everybody else. Now, as a matter of fact, when Jesus talks about being the Son of Man, He is actually making a claim to being being the Messiah. In the book of Daniel, which is filled with Messianic prophecies, one of those prophecies is found in Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 7, it's on the screen, it's on the screen behind me, uh, he, he says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. That one who is like the Son of Man. And so when Jesus comes onto the scene and He begins to refer to Himself as the Son of Man, he is, he is speaking as one who is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. The fulfillment of the one who, will, who has a kingdom, who has dominion, that all the people and the nations and the languages should, should serve. It is a claim. It is a claim that, 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 that is coming forth that He is the Messiah. I want you to see how this plays out in, in the New Testament text. Uh, in passages like Matthew chapter 23... This is when Jesus is being interrogated by, by the high priest, by the religious leaders, right? And they're trying to figure out who exactly are you. And he says, but, but Jesus, he didn't answer him. Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Like We're familiar with that sort of terminology, right? Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? Listen to Jesus' answer. It is as you said. Are you the Christ? Yes. Are you the Son of God? Yes. It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. See what Jesus did there? When he talks about being the Son of Man, he's saying the same thing that we typically think of when we think of him being the Son of God. He is the one that Daniel prophesied that would come with power, that would come with dominion. Go back and, and, and look at this in the text yourself. This is where you're going to have to follow along a little bit. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 6, this is when Jesus heals the, 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 the paralytic, right? The, the, the paralyzed man. And Jesus, and, and the text says in Matthew 9 and verse 6, about why it is, why it is that, that he, he told this man that his sins are forgiven. It was that you may know, the reason I did what I did, Jesus says, I did what I did that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. When people, in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20, when people are coming to follow after Jesus and they want to be his disciple, there in the text, the, the Bible says that Jesus said to them, foxes have holes and birds, have, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. When Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath in Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 8. Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath, and some people were getting very upset about that. Jesus said to them in Matthew 12 and verse 8, For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I'm trying to make this point about who you think I am. I'm not just referring to my humanity. I'm trying to show you the fulfillment of prophecy in in. Uh, in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 28, by the way, the, the text is filled with these sorts of examples where Jesus is talking about being the Son of Man as a claim to authority, as a claim to position, not simply a claim of humility or humanity. In Matthew chapter 19 and, and, and verse 28, he says to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory... 
you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And again, in Matthew 25 and verse 31, he's talking about the judgment day here, right? This is where he gives the parables of the judgment and those who are prepared. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. Do do you get the point about the Son of Man? He's not just saying, I'm a man like everybody else. No, I am the Son of Man. I am the one that was prophesied by Daniel, and I come with the power to forgive sins. I come, with, 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 I come as the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath. I come, as the one, I come as the one who will sit on the throne of glory. I come as the one who will, who will judge the tribes of Israel. I come as the one who is the Messiah. So every time you see that Son of Man coming from the mouth of Jesus, I want, that, I want that to pop off the page that he's making a claim. Remember sometimes we talk about how people, people are questioning whether Jesus really ever claimed to be the Son of God, right? And, and my typical answer is, I don't think they've read the Gospel of John because he just says it over and over. But he also is saying it in the, in the Gospel of Matthew with this claim to the Jewish people to be the Son of Man. Now, 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 the title that we're much more comfortable with, Jesus uses this much less for himself, but we're much more comfortable with is talking about Jesus as the Son of God. We even put it on, on our banner for this month, right? Jesus is the Son of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now, what does that mean? Well, it, it doesn't mean that, that, that God is the one... God is the one who created Jesus. Jesus is the creator. Uh, Paul would say uh, in his letter to, to, the, to Colossae, and John would say in his gospel that Jesus is the creator. There's nothing that was created that he didn't create. He is God. The Word puts on flesh, right? He's not saying that somehow he's, he's the one that is, that is the source of the Son, but, but in, this, in this idea of the monogenes, He's, that, that's the Greek word. I don't use a lot of Greek words, but this one, there used to be a lot of debates about this word, right? That we have in our Bibles, the only begotten. But literally, what it means is he is one of a kind. He is unique. Out of all the sons, out of all of those who might claim to be the sons of God, and that can be a very broad term all throughout the Bible, right? He is the Son of God. He is the unique Son of God. He's the Son of God that stands out above all the other who would claim to be the sons of God. There, let me give you three examples of this throughout the text of people who are called by the Bible the Son of God. The first of these is Adam. Over and over we have this contrast being made between the first Adam, this is Adam in Genesis, right? Between the first Adam and the second Adam. Between Adam and between Jesus. And, and, in, and in the text, and in the text, Luke 3 and verse 38, this is at the end of the genealogy of Jesus. He says, he comes to, comes to all the way back to the beginning. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Adam is referred to as the Son of God. He is the first Adam, and Jesus is the second Adam. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 14, 
Romans chapter 5 is going to be this contrast between the first Adam and the second Adam. But in Romans 5 and verse 14, he says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Who? Adam is a type of Jesus. Adam is a, is a shadow, right? Adam is teaching a class right now on types and shadows. Well, this is one of those theme verses, Romans chapter 5. Adam was a shadow. When you see Adam, he, he, he foreshadows the coming of Christ. It ought to, we can learn something about Jesus by learning something about Adam. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 45, So it was written that the first man, Adam, became, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. So this compare and this contrast between Adam, the Son of God, and Jesus, the Son of God. Now, Adam falls short. Adam falls short of displaying the image of the Father. And you know that through his sin, and you know that even through his humanity. But Jesus, the true Adam, the last Adam, he doesn't fall short. So that thing that we have a glimpse of in the first Adam, we have a fulfillment of in the second Adam. We have a fulfillment of in Jesus, the Son of God. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 describes Jesus as the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. That's why when people say, we want to see the Father, and Jesus says, well, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, that, that, that's a bold statement, Right? We would, be, we would hesitate to make a statement like that. Adam would hesitate to make a statement like that. But Jesus, Jesus said it boldly because it was true. And so Jesus comes as the fulfillment of those things that Adam fell short of. Well, sometimes, sometimes we, we see the nation of Israel being portrayed as the Son of God. Remember when Moses is going and he's pleading for the children of Israel? He's, or demanding, maybe more like it, but for Pharaoh to, to let them go. He says, he says to Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 4, verse 23, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. And this is ultimately where a great deal of that, the tenth plague and, and, the, and, the, and the death of the firstborn child comes, comes into play, right? We understand that. But the, but the imagery is that Israel is the son of God. Well, in Hosea, I don't know when the last time you read Hosea was, but in Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1, he makes reference to this sort of terminology, and he says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt... I called my son. Right? So they had to go into captivity, but he called them out of Egypt. Called who? Israel. Who? The son of God. That's what this nation was. But what you know is that when you come to the New Testament, when you come to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, this, this verse about Israel is going to be applied to Jesus. Matthew chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. When he arose, 
He took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the, by the Lord through the prophet Hosea, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. So Israel is the son of God, but ultimately these, this prophecy is fulfilled in the form of Jesus. Israel would disobey. They would stumble. They would grumble. They, 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 would, they would sin and they would fall away. But Jesus would not disobey the Father as Israel did. He would be obedient even till death. Maybe a third example of this terminology, the Son of God being applied to David. Uh, sometimes you're reading along uh, in Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, right? And by the way, he had a whole sermon before he got to repent and be baptized, and right? And one of the things he starts talking to these people about is he starts talking to them about David. And it means almost very little to us because we're not thinking about David, we're trying to think about Jesus, but, but to a Jew, to someone who understands, the, the, for someone who understands the, the, the prophecies, right? Well, you can't be the Christ unless you have come to the line of David because the Christ or the Messiah is going to sit on the throne of David. Well, David is referred to as the Son of God. The, the second Psalm, Psalm 2 and verse 7. David's, uh, the, David says, I declare the decree that the Lord has said to me, to who? To David. The Lord has said to, to David, you are my son, and today I have begotten you. Now, where did David get that from? Well, if you want to make a mark in your Bible, it's a reference to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, verses 12 through 14, uh, the Lord says, When your days, he says this to David, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And, and if, if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, and with the blows of the sons of men. Well, these are the promises. This is what David's referring to when he writes the Psalms, right? You are my son. I have begotten you. I have set you apart. Well, what do you know about the, about the sons of David, the literal sons, the physical sons of David? Well, they just rebelled. They constantly broke the covenant with God. But nevertheless, as, as, this, as this people who were oppressed and they were occupied, right, by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks, and by the time of the New Testament, by, by the Romans, they were looking for a Savior, but, but the prophet said, this Savior is going to be a descendant of David. So the Old Testament is, that's the, reason, that's the reason when Peter preaches in Acts 2, that's what he brings about David. Because the Old Testament is full of these prophecies about a king who would suffer as a servant. It's full of prophecies about a king who would also be a priest. So when you, when you pick up books like the book of Romans... For example, in Romans chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he says, he's talking about Jesus, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David 
according to the flesh. See why a Jew wouldn't skip over the genealogies like we do? Because, because they're trying to figure out, okay, is this person the Messiah? Is he even qualified to be the Messiah? They're going to they're look at those things. Go in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, he's going, he's going to make, once again, making this argument about who Jesus is. And he says, and we, de- this is Acts 13, verse 32 through 33. And we declare to you good tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, and today I have begotten you. That's what we just read in Psalm 2, right? About David. But his fulfillment comes in the form of Christ. He's going to say it again. Get familiar with Psalm 2 because, it's, because the New Testament constantly refers to Psalm 2. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. So this terminology of the Son of God, that we see applied to Adam, and we see it applied to Israel, and we see it applied to David. But what Adam and Israel and David, what they failed to do, which was to prove their sonship, Christ, Jesus, has done. Jesus has done. So so when we talk about, yeah, He is the only begotten. He is the monogenes, right? He is the unique, the one-of-a-kind Son of God. There is no one like this one. He is the one above all others that I have sent to proclaim this message and to show my glory. Does that make sense? He is the one that's set apart. God so loved the world, He didn't just send somebody He didn't just send somebody that was great like other great. He sent the one-of-a-kind son. He sent the one son that no one else can compare to. So when we talk about Jesus as the Son of God, or when we talk about Him as the Son of Man, it is a fulfillment of those prophecies. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So so as we elevate Jesus, and we understand who He was, Listen, there are many people that do not follow Jesus or Jesus doesn't really make a difference in their lives. Does Jesus make a difference in your life? I'm serious. And you might think about even the way that you're listening right now. Does does knowing Jesus and who, does that make any difference in your life? Many times, the impact of who Jesus is, it's not made simply because people don't understand who He is. They don't understand the greatness of Jesus, the significance of Jesus. He is the one that God has sent. When the divine Son 
took on humanity. He came to fulfill the role that was marked out for him and foreshadowed by Adam, by Israel, by David, not as an afterthought. But these earlier sons were types and shadows of the true son, of the true son who actually came before, before them. In, in John chapter 1, we see Jesus being put forth and being displayed as the Word, as God Himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. All the way down to verse 14, and that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who are we talking about? Jesus, divine, deity. Down, but keep going to verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. That's the identity. He is the one of a kind. He is the fulfillment of prophecy. He is the one that God sent for a purpose, and that purpose was that we might be sons of God ourselves. Not like Jesus. You're not like Jesus in a perfect way. You never will be. But to know that you can simply be a son of God, someone like you, someone like me, with all that baggage, with all that flesh, with all those struggles, the son of God, the son of man, that God sent to establish a kingdom that we can be a part of. Words fail me to describe the significance of what that means. But I pray that you have an understanding of the opportunity that is put before you that you will never receive a greater opportunity. No one has ever done anything greater for you. No one has ever presented you with a greater opportunity to walk with Him. To walk with Jesus who allows us to walk with that Creator God. So when we say, I believe, I believe like the eunuch did, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We're saying more than simply, I believe that there was a Jesus. I believe there was some guy, he had a lot of good things to say, you know, uh, did, a lot of, did a lot of good things. It impacted the world in, in a big way. Now, when I say I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I'm saying I believe that this is, this is the one that was sent by God who is greater than all. And that changes everything. It led the eunuch to be baptized on that very day. It will lead you to repent. It will lead you to get serious, to be sober-minded. It will lead you it will lead you to peace and to hope and to joy and to comfort. I can't lead you to any of those things. No man can, but Jesus can. If you will only follow him and confess that you believe that Jesus is the son of God. Do not do not neglect that great gift. You have if you have a need, you come as we stand and as we sing.